You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. It's time now for It's My Money. It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, and Brenthurst Wealth was voted SA's top boutique wealth manager in both 2017 and 2020 and has been consistently placed in the top three or four since then and even before then. With me now is Stefan Janser van Furen from Brenthurst Wealth in Stellenbosch. And Stefan, you sent me a piece that starts with the following headline. Tax-efficient offshore investment within an SA trust. And I have to go on a little bit here, so forgive me. You say here, a trust has long been the darling of every affluent South African family, a sign that you have accumulated sufficient wealth to preserve for the generations to follow. However, the prestige has waned over the last couple of decades for the following reasons. And you're going to tell me those following reasons. But what you're saying is that I think the authorities, the financial authorities, have clamped down on trusts and they've seen a little too many gaps in the trust system, and they've closed a few of them. Hi, Lindsay. Now speaking to you again. What we've been seeing in the, say, in the, in the financial industry over the last couple of, of years is, is most trust that come across our desks are historic, which has been set up in the 90s or even prior. All new money, people that have sold their businesses or retired or have come across some money are, are being taken offshore in, in, their, in their personal capacity, which... Unfortunately, for the people that have set up trusts, it's a bit more complicated. They are now sitting, the, the capital is now tied up within a vehicle, uh, which isn't very tax efficient, and investment options is quite limited in terms of offshore diversification purposes. Okay, you say the following, considerable change in family dynamics. It is now common for a family of four to be split across different countries. So does that mean that the trust is redundant because of the changing circumstances of the South African family and the distribution of South African wealth? I wouldn't say it's redundant. They are, it still has its place, especially for physical property. If you if you think of the businesses in South Africa, the large corporations, factories, uh, farms, all of that, it still has a place. And a lot of people do use trust as a vehicle to own shares in entities. But to preserve liquid capital, I think there are better options out there. But that being said, um, some people are deeply rooted in South Africa and they don't plan on immigrating anytime soon. And even the like the future generations are getting involved um, in the businesses, coming back to the farm after university, they join the, the family business, whatever it may be. Um, and for those people, definitely, I wouldn't say just chuck trust out the window. It still has its place. Okay, so you're in Stellenbosch at the moment. So let's say a farmer, a wine farmer or any sort of farmer came to you and said, okay, I'm selling my farm now. Uh, I'm going to realise 30, 40, 50 million for it and I want to distribute it throughout my family. What would you say? Would you say we've got to put it in a trust and therefore for generations forward, the, the, the farm still benefits them, although you haven't got the farm in its physical form? Do you see what I mean? What would you say to them? Uh, that differs from family to family. Um, you get the really rich that are willing to pay the, the enormous administration costs to set up a trust in offshore jurisdiction. Then you get some families that are not, I can say, not willing to pay the, the couple of thousand dollars to manage or administer such an, an offshore trust. They still uh, wish to go the local route 
for them, I would suggest opening a trust and invested in a sinking fund within the trust. It's a, it's a tax-efficient structure that, that the sinking fund is taxed and not the trust. 12% that capital gain, 30% income, and you can invest offshore via assets of feeder funds. So there is, there is still, I can say, means to get some offshore exposure, both to the offshore asset and protection against a, a, a decreasing rent, depreciating rent. The authorities' propensity to sort of relax regulations in South Africa has been a feature of almost every budget every year, Stefan. And you say that the investment options available to South African investors have increased dramatically. Offshore investments in unit trust shares and even physical property have become the norm. So what you're saying is that trusts were the only thing to be in maybe 15, 20 years ago. Now there are so many different options and that has meant that trusts are not unattractive, but maybe less attractive. Yes, and I think lots of professionals in South Africa, if somewhere in their career they do, I say, wander overseas and work over there for two or three or four years, and those people end up owning offshore properties and having offshore investments when they come back to South Africa, and then you get the other side of the spectrum where people make their money in their hands and then ship it off offshore at the later stage in their career. And when that capital is tied up within a trust, your hands are a bit tied. Uh, you can only invest... Uh, and say in lands, um, and so you can't you can't own offshore property, or you can't own an offshore direct offshore investments with your through your South African trust. So definitely, there are other options on the table. Yeah, and, and presumably in the future, more and more options as well, which is a good thing. But on the other hand, does it again? I said in my introduction, are trusts redundant? You say no, there's still a place for them. But uh, we'll explore what the place is in the next few minutes. You give me an example. Suppose the trust invested in shares listed on the JSE, as various trusts have done in the past in March 2002, and you go on to use the example of investing in Sassel or Nedbank, or ShopRite. Maybe you could go through the numbers, because I'm not a mathematician like you are. Yeah, that was, this was purely a hypothetical exercise. If a trust invested 300000 in March 2002 uh, across Sassel, Nedbank, and ShopRite, in February of this year, um, it would have grown to roughly $4 million, a fantastic return of 13%, roughly 14% per annum. If you were to realize those gains, the trust would have to cough up a 1.3 million capital gains tax. Um, now, the, the inspiration for this exercise is just last week. I saw, uh, I came across a gentleman who was asking for advice, who's got close to 50 million in a, in a trust, all invested in shares, yeah. but roughly 30 million of that is capital gain. Now, if he were to, to realize that in the future, to get some for diversification purposes or to use the capital, he faces a massive tax bill. So that is that is some of the the pitfalls of a trust. And, and as I, as I said before, it's it's the you know the South African Revenue Service and the financial authorities saying, okay, where can we gain some more income for ourselves? And we have to close these little loopholes, not so much loopholes, but these little gaps in the system. So you come up with the solution of the sinking fund. What is a sinking fund? I've never heard of this before. Okay, well, a sinking fund is, uh, is similar to endowment policy. And I know some investors run for the door when they hear the word policy, uh, but it sits on the investment platform or investment company, insurance company's life license. So the product is owned by the insurance company or the, or the investment company, 
but it's in your name or in the trust's name. So you pay corporate tax rates, 12% flat on capital gains and 30% flat on income. So it's beneficial for a trust and for wealthy individuals from a tax perspective. And if it's an individual's name, you can appoint a successor contract owner. So if you were to pass away, the, the person you nominated as the successor contract owner would then own the investment, escaping executor's fees and immediate liquidity. For a trust, that's not considered as a trust is not a natural person. Yeah, you say taxes levied within the sinking fund, meaning earnings are not taxed in the name of the trust. Within a sinking fund, you go on to say income is taxed at a flat rate of 30% and capital gains at a flat rate of 12%. What are the alternatives? I mean, you're talking about the sinking fund because obviously you're going to save on tax. What is the sort of saving you're talking about, Stefan? There's another option for, for trust to, it's called the conduit principle, to have the tax levied against the end beneficiary. So that would be the individual person who has at the, the end of the, for example, the flow of money. Yes. Um, but if you bear in mind the end goal of a trust is to preserve wealth for future generations, protecting it against capital gains tax and estate duty, you would rather keep the money within the trust than have it paid out to beneficiaries where they have free will to do with it whatever they please. And if you are from a fluent, affluent family, you're end beneficiaries probably are in a high tax bracket themselves. So that would push up their marginal tax rate even further. The alternatives, if you compare individual in the top tax bracket, sinking fund versus a trust, I mean, the tax rate for individuals and a trust is on income is 45%, the sinking fund is 30%. On capital gains tax for individual, it's uh, you can effectively work on 18% or 20%. A trust is 36%. And versus a sinking fund is twelve percent. So there you can see it is it is quite a difference between the between it, the three. It's, and a, it's a huge difference, Steph. And, and you you say this quite eloquently. You say the beneficial tax rates make a huge difference when measured over a long time period. And I like this example. You say we assume a trust invests one million in the ninety one equity fund in two thousand and fully disposes of the investment every five years to show the effects of capital gains tax CGT. The graph that you've put, obviously we can't talk about the graph, it illustrates the difference in outcomes between a normal discretionary investment in the trust name and a sinking fund investment in the trust name. The tax benefits of the sinking funds lead to a difference of a staggering 4,691,083 rand over 20 years. I mean, okay, over 20 years, it gets a little bit less dramatic, but still, it's quite significant. So this comes to my last question now. Should anyone, let's say you're, you're a young gun and you're in your, I don't know, late 30s, early 40s, you've made a lot of money in South Africa, you decide to invest and to provide for future generations of your family, should a trust be considered? I wish I could give you an answer. There, there isn't one. Um, it's family dynamics come to play. If, if, if all members of the, of the family, you don't want to rule from the grave and you've got no idea how future generations would look like and it, it, it all depends on, on what your what your goal for the say for the family is going forward if if you trust the the generation below you with the with the capital i think not i would rather have the money at my disposal in my personal name you can open a sinking fund in your personal name as well 
um, we can then appoint a trust as a beneficiary if you were to pass away. That could be one way of doing it. But I wouldn't, whilst I'm still alive and kicking and I've <laughs> come across some money, I wouldn't, I wouldn't open a trust and, and chuck it in there. That being said, yes. there's a lot of factors to consider, and and for some people, it would it is still the ideal situation. Okay, so again, as I keep on saying, with every time I speak to a Brenta's no. wealth investment professional, I say it's all to do with tailoring the solution to you and your family and your future dependents. So you've got to sit down with a financial advisor, and that financial advisor is so important when it comes to very complicated matters like the one that you've just spoken about, Stefan. You can't just sit down and say, right, I've read this little leaflet here or this brochure, and this is for me. You have to sit down with somebody. Yeah, 100%. There will be countless people who would disagree with me on, on the topic that we just covered and on sinking funds in a trust name, and there will be countless people who are in agreement with me. So it is, it's really a horses for courses scenario. I understand. And just your final paragraph or sentence, it says, it is advisable to engage with an experienced, qualified financial advisor to structure investment strategies suited to the investor's specific circumstances and financial goals, as I always say at the end of every Brent Wealth podcast. Stefan, thank you very much for your time. Stefan Janser van Furen is from Brent Wealth in Stellenbosch. And that was It's My Money. It's My Money was brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.